Hello, I'm Fraser Ford and welcome to the first ever episode of the You Know What I Mean podcast, the only podcast where you cannot use the catchphrase, you know what I mean. Now, before I tell you about today's special guest, I just want to introduce the podcast itself. The podcast looks to speak to special guests about the most contemporary sociological topics in the sport and physical activity industry. However, this podcast comes with a twist. So for every episode, I will have forfeits folded up on a bit of paper in front of me. If any of the guests say the forbidden term, you know what I mean, they have to do one of the forfeits. So now that's explained, without further ado, let's introduce the first guest on the podcast, presenter, author, and now producing his first documentary, Michael Kern. Michael, it's great to have you with us, and thank you very much for joining us. No First of all, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, cheers for having us on. Good stuff. So, um, obviously, you've been doing a lot at the moment in terms of projects. What's going on with you at the moment? Yeah, lots of stuff. I think 2020 has been a year for all of us. It's been incredibly difficult. Um, I've been very blessed in the sense that you know none of my close family have been uh, taken ill with with COVID, which is which is nice. But obviously. It's been difficult for, for a lot of people from, from that side of things, but also from a business perspective, it's been quite tough. So for me as a presenter of live sport, that kind of got curtailed quite a little bit this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when it's come back, it's obviously restricted and not as many people are out in, inside stadiums. And, yeah. you know, so it's been, it's been a tough year. It's been a difficult year. Um, I've kind of managed to keep myself and my mind busy, which, is, which has been fun. Um, I think it's been... A year of change for me really I think it's been a really well it's been a tough year it's also been a year of understanding where I am and appreciating what I've done already um, and yeah it's been exciting so I kind of cracked on and, and wrote a couple of books in lockdown and published a few other books for some few other people so I kind of adapted my production company into a bit of a, a publishing company as well nice. um, did a little bit of, of kind of podcasting and, and blogging at the start of the lockdown but then everyone started doing it and I was kind of it was kind of become quite a, a busy market. So I was thinking, okay, well, what else can I do? And I just kind of adjusted everything I did, looked at everything that I'd achieved so far and, yeah, got back playing football again, which was massive. And I think, obviously, talking about mental health today, I think that was massive for me. And I, I was talking to the goalkeeping coach at Sholem where I'm playing and we were just saying the other day, you know, having having that training once we could get back again was, was just so key and vital just to keeping your mind switched on and a little bit of a distraction. So... Yeah, it's, it's been a tough year, I think, for everyone, but hopefully a year of, of discovery for some people that have been able to use that time and who managed to keep themselves fit and well and safe. And yeah, it's, we're getting it's definitely been a learning curve, hasn't it? So, 100%. Yeah. So let's go back in your archive to where mm. you first started, uh, obviously involved in the sport and physical activity sector. Um, I know you used to play yourself, you used to coach a little bit with Saints Foundation, which is obviously the charity arm uh, to Southampton Football Club. Uh, tell us a bit about your early experience in the, in the industry. Yeah, for sure. So I, like most kids growing up, wanted to be a professional footballer. So that was that was always the goal. And then I got to about 18, 19 and kind of discovered that I wasn't going to play for England. And I wasn't going to play for Southampton unless some kind of miracle happened. And yeah, I kind of looked at it and was like, well, I always want to do the best I can at everything I do. Um, and I was at college at Peter Simmons in Winchester and was doing a bit of everything. Like growing up, I did musical theatre, played sport, just a mixed bag of everything. And then when I was at college, I started doing the college radio station, um, which was great fun. And kind of found out I had a little bit of a knack for that. So... As soon as I left college, I then went into broadcasting and on local radio, um, which was awesome. A guy called Tommy Boy kind of like mentored me and gave me the opportunity to have my own little sports feature, which we called It's All Balls, which was quite good and just 
every day, which is a little bit of sports news. And, and he kind of really inspired me to, to really follow sports kind of presenting. Um, I remember we were in the, in the office one day and he said, right, who do you want to interview? And I think at the time, um, Jan Portfleet was Southampton manager. I think Harry Redknapp was back at Portsmouth. Um, and I said, well, actually, Gordon Strachan's at Celtic and he's coming down. And somehow I managed to blag an interview with Gordon Strachan <laughs> at his house in Warsash. No way. And it was just incredible, this 19-year-old knock it, rocking up at Gordon Strachan's front door and being a Southampton fan and at that time, he'd obviously taken us to an FA Cup final. So it was incredible and that just massively inspired me. And then this crazy 15-year journey's begun where I went and worked on the cruise ships for a year and then I came back and then I went and you know, presented red carpet stuff in London and then did gigs at the O2, Wembley Arena, Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, Premier League around the world. So, yeah, incredibly blessed. It's been a crazy journey. Sport has been a massive part of it. And, you know, even when I was younger, doing my coaching badges and, and like you said, doing some coaching for Southampton and did a bit for Chelsea as well. And, yeah, I feel very blessed to have had a, a career in sport. And I guess just going back to this year, you know, I'm kind of quite content if I never presented again. Obviously, I'll be gutted, but I look back on what I've achieved and, and what sport's given me. And I feel very blessed, you know, despite the ups and downs, we're very blessed. That's good, that's good. So who were your role models growing up, both personally and in terms of, uh, you know, uh, presenters, I suppose? Yeah, so I kind of have three big inspirations, that I kind of call it. Um, one, one is my great-grandfather. He died in 1974, um, but he was awarded the George Medal in the Second World War. Um, so I always kind of looked up to him as a kid um, in the sense that he risked his life to save someone else's. So for me, you know, and, and that generation of, of our grandparents, you know, some of them paid the ultimate sacrifice, you know, in, in fighting for our freedom. So for me, that he was a massive inspiration just on how I wanted to conduct myself as a person and, and to serve and, and to give back. And that's a big thing that runs through through my life. And Muhammad Ali was another one, again, because of just his, his service and, and his sacrifice. He gave up the best years of his boxing career because he got convicted of draft dodging because he didn't want to go fight in the Vietnam War. Um, and I just think that's an amazing testament to him as a character and as a human being that he, he gave up the best years of his career for a bigger cause, which was equality. So he was a massive one. Um, the Saints 1976 FA Cup team, they really inspired me growing up. Just that whole David versus Goliath, you know, Man United effectively Premier League. We were championship back in the 70s. Um, so that was a big one. And then when it comes to presenting, just the greats, really, like the Des O'Connors, who we sadly lost this year, Bruce Forsyth, so David Frost, like all those old school presenters. And Brian Connolly, who's he's currently in the West End doing a, doing a Christmas show at the moment. It was in 9 to 5 last year. Um, they were all just people that were just incredible. And I've, I've met Brian a couple of times, but unfortunately I never got to meet the other guys. But they were just consummate professionals. And so from a professional and a professionalism point of view, those were the guys I looked at as, as a presenter. And then obviously you've got people like Jimmy Hill and stuff like that who used to host Match of the Day and, and those greats. So, yeah, loads and loads of people kind of inspire me. I think it's important that, you know, you just look at those people that inspire you and just everyone's got something to teach you. So I, li I like having... Lots of inspirational quotes and inspirational people around everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. And we see that on your social media yeah. as well. I know sometimes you share a few quotes and that, which is yeah. obviously it's, it's good. So have you ever asked a question and immediately thought, oh, I, sh I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have asked that question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of had one. But my, my, I say my favourite one. I don't know if you can really go asking <laughs> the wrong question. My favourite one. But I was presenting in a, a hockey tournament that was pre-Commonwealth Games. 
and I was double checking with the, the media department. I said, look, I just want to confirm. Someone said to me, every team here is going to the Commonwealth Games, but I'm sure Ireland aren't going. I know they asked a question if they could have competed, but like, I, I'm very sure that Ireland are not going to the Commonwealth Games. And the, and the person in the media said, no, 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 they're going. So like, make sure you ask, because that'll be good. So with this, this match is finished between uh, England and Ireland. And I've literally gone to their captain. So, look, you know, a good competition here. You're looking forward to the Commonwealth Games. And he just turned around and went, we're not going. And I went, well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Never believe and listen to what the researchers in the media department say. And luckily, it wasn't on live television. It was just in a stadium of 5,000 people. But, yeah, I, was, I, I, I even checked, you know, because someone kept saying, I was like, I don't think everyone is going from this. Um, but, you know, that's the joy of a presenter, right? Sometimes you're in the, in the laps of uh, the gods and in the hands of your producers and, and researchers. And, you know, as much research as you do yourself, if you get told in your ear, you know, to say this. We had one on the red carpet as well. And it was when Inbetweeners came on. And uh, the, the, this producer guy I was working through was adamant that the person we were about to interview was Emily Atak. And I'm like, that is not Emily Atak. Like... It's not her. And like, I didn't know who it was at the time. It turns out it was Camilla Kerslake, um, who's my, I think it's Chris Robshaw's partner, uh, the rugby player. And, uh, and I've just gone, I, I'm not asking her about in between us because she, she's not in it. I know for definite she's not Emily Atak. And uh, he's, he's kind of get, going in my ear. So I've just said, oh, are you looking forward to the movie premiere tonight? Cause it was for a film. And I said, look, everything everyone's talking about in between is at the moment, had you had a chance to catch it, um, catch the new series yet? And she said, oh, no, I'm not really into in between us. And I was like, I'm so glad I worded the question another way because I'd have looked a complete fool. But yeah. As, as is uh, live presenting, live TV, yeah. and uh, exactly, you don't quite have the uh, opportunity to cut bits out, do you? No, so it's, but it's uh, live, it's done. Yeah, That's exactly, it. exactly. Just, you know, I suppose, what, what is your favourite interview that, you, that you've ever done personally? Have you got one that stands out? Do you know, I've done a few. I've been very lucky to meet some um, really cool people, sports stars. And, you know, I met Sir Henry Cooper when I worked on the cruise ships, which was incredible. And obviously I never got to meet Muhammad Ali. So meeting one of the, well, I think he was the only guy to put Muhammad Ali on his backside in Wembley. So that was incredible. Um, and then from a sporting perspective, there's been a couple. Um, I remember interviewing Robin Van Persie. Um, it was Man United West Ham at Old Trafford and it was the day after my birthday and I remember I flew up the morning before to kind of get ready for it. Um, Wayne Rooney had been sent off and I literally had like 30 seconds before we were about to go live and I just put the microphone behind my back and said, oh, Robin, well played today, look, which, a couple of questions and just had a little chat with him and then when I did the interview with him, um, he was just really relaxed and it was incredible and everyone was like, wow, we never really, that was a really good interview. and it was just So that was really nice and that made match of the day, so that was really, really cool. Um, and then also, I guess, as a Southampton fan, I, I did an interview, um, I've been in lots of interviews recently with, with all the boys from 76. And that's been really cool. And obviously, because we've had to socially distance in bits and pieces. But, you know, for a social distance, I've been sat opposite people like Laurie McMenemy, Peter Rodriguez and all those guys. And that's been incredibly special because part of this documentary that I'm working on is telling the story of, of 1976 and, and being have, to have that one on one time with those heroes who've meant a massive part to me. Um, it's been incredibly special. So, yeah, I feel very blessed. I can't, I can't really put my finger on one specific interview that I think is, has been incredible. You know, there's, there's loads. Once you start thinking about it, loads spring to mind. I remember when Jose Font was at Southampton. I think it was one of his, I think it was last full season with us. And he, um, he had his son in the tunnel and they'd done the lap of the pitch and I wanted to do an interview with him. 
and uh, Hugo, I think, were the player liaison from was there, and Jordan, who runs all the media team there, and um, they said, we don't know if he'll do it, and, that's it. and I, I kind of acknowledged him, and he said, can my son come as well? And I said, yeah, yeah, so I did this interview with, with Jose and his, and his son, and it was amazing, they made match of the day, so that was quite cool. So, yeah, it's tough to put a finger on, on favourite all-time interviews, but, yeah, there's, there's lots that spring to mind. Definitely, definitely. So, Desire, Dream, Vision, tell us a bit about it and where the idea came from. Yeah, so Desire, Dream, Vision has been pretty much been my mantra since I was a young kid. Um, a big thing for me was, again, as I said earlier, Muhammad Ali. Um, and he's got this awesome quote which says, Champions aren't made in gyms, champions are made from something deep inside. A desire, a dream and a vision. You've got to have the skill and the will, but the will's got to be stronger than the skill. Um, and it's, I've still got the original post-it note I wrote when I was 13 and stuck on my mirror. So I see it every single day. Um, and I just think it's a really powerful quote of, of, of you know, you've got to have a desire, you've got to dream about it and you've got to visualise it. And that, those three words, DDV, just become my mantra. Um, and then, you know, evidently this year as well, the second half's become even more in the spotlight. of You've got to have the skill and the will, but the will's got to be stronger than the skill. You know, I've, I had a contract at TalkSport this year, got dropped in the summer, no real explanation, no real conversations, nothing really since. And that can kind of be a bit of a, a kick, kick in the teeth, really, when, when you've worked really hard and been told that you're doing really well by the producers. Um, and it just proves your will's got to be stronger than the skill because you can be the best presenter in the world, but if you're not flavour of the month, you don't fit in in their plans you know, you've got to keep fighting and you've got to keep finding another way. And it's very easy to, to sit there and wallow. And I think there's an important part of the process where you have to just take a breath and go, look, okay, this, is, this has happened. How do I deal with it? Um, but then you've just got to keep pushing on it. And the will is really, really important. And um, yeah, so that's what Desire Dream Vision is about. And for me, it's the main mantra is just helping people achieve their dreams and ambitions. So the same with the publishing company that I've now developed into. You know, we've published two other people's books this year. And um, we've published Gail Ems, the Olympic badminton player. She did a quiz in lockdown. We've turned it into a book. And we were talking the other day and she said, you know, who would have thought that the year we've had that, you know, I'd have published a book by the end of the year, you know, and, and being able to help people again, ties back into my great grand. And I just, I get so much joy of helping other people. And that's what it's all about. The whole Desire Dream Vision brand. It's all about, you know, how can you inspire people? How can you help people and, and help them find their Desire Dream Vision and, and help them achieve their goals? Because... For me, it doesn't matter how big your goal is, whether it's you want to climb Mount Everest or, or you want to own your own home or you want to set a, a community project up. Like, it doesn't matter. Like The scale of it is, is important to you. It doesn't matter what other people think of it. So, so for me, whatever that goal some, is that someone has, it's all about trying to just help them achieve it in the best we can. Now, I'm sure people have seen, obviously, on your social media, um, you're quite vocal about the importance of mental health. Uh, why are you passionate about mental health and, and why is it important to you? Um, for me, I kind of think it's it's important that we just look out for ourselves and look out for each other. Um, 2013, I had a pretty tough time um, just trying to achieve the dream and, you know, try to put an event on which didn't go too well. And you kind of learn who your friends were at that point. But it taught me some massive business lessons. I went to kind of pretty dark place and didn't really t- talk to anyone about it. I kind of just dealt with it myself and, and got out the other side. And a friend of mine, you know, we were just talking casually about stuff. And she went, oh, you need to watch this video on, on YouTube. And it was from the World Health Organization. It's, it's called The Black Dog. It's an amazing video. And it's, it's well worth watching, even if you don't think you're, you're struggling with anything, you know, because it just opens your eyes. And I was kind of the other side of dealing with it, really, when I saw the video. And I was like, oh, OK, that explains what's just been happening for the last like six months. Um, so I've just been really conscious of that. And being in my industry, I'm sure it's like many others. It, it's tough. You know, you go from being stood in front of 35,000 people presenting to driving home in a car on your own, wondering when your next gig is. 
Um, and, and that's tough, like mentally, the adrenaline rush and its ups and downs. And, you know, I've kind of got a way of dealing with it now, but, you know, it still bites you in the backside when you least expect it. So for me, I think it's just really important we look out for each other. I've got a few mates, we're in like a little WhatsApp group and we look out for each other. And, you know, and it's, it's that old adage, isn't it? You just kind of reply, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And you know, it's like, no, are you okay? And it's and it, it's quite nice. It starts conversations, which is really good. But, you know, it's tough. Like, I didn't want to talk to anyone when I was going through it. And I've kind of found that actually talking does actually help a little bit. You know, I always say to people, there's over like 7.7 .7 billion people in the world. There's always someone that's going to listen with no judgments made. So, you know, if, if you are struggling, I always say that the, the door's always open if anyone wants to send me a message. Um, but, you know, there is always someone out there that's going to make no judgment. It doesn't have to be a family member. It doesn't have to be a friend. There are people out there that will listen and help. And I guess a big thing I found with it as well is that because I was so lucky with the opportunities that I was having and the things I was doing, I just thought it was just me being stupid. And actually, it doesn't matter how successful you are or what things you're doing and where you think you are on your career path, whether you think you're at the top of your game or you're just starting out, you know, it's the same for everyone. So, you know, whether you're a top professional athlete or just starting your journey, you know, you kind of almost think I felt at the time because I was doing some pretty cool stuff. Like, I'll oh, stop being stupid. Like, there's worse things happening in the world right now than you worrying about when your next gig's coming. Like, you've just done a national TV show. But it's how your mind plays tricks with you. So it's, I just think it's really important just for people to, to be aware of it and to talk about it. I think it's really, really important. Yeah, good. And it obviously it's becoming more and more apparent uh, that social media can obviously have an influence on someone's mental health. Uh, do you think social media platforms are doing enough to protect people in terms of their mental health? No, I think it's social media is really tough because it's an amazing, beautiful thing. Um, of connecting people and sharing the message, but there's there's just such a dark and sinister side to it. You know, that you can anonymously hide behind an account and say something to someone that you would never say, you know, and obviously a lot of spotlight is put on people that are in the media, you know, they'll put something on, you only have to flick through, you know, say something that a Gary Barlow's put up or a David Beckham or, or a, a Lewis Hamilton, and you flick through the comments and you're like, literally, like, you wouldn't go up and say that to someone's face, you know, and it's... And I find it, like, baffles me, because as far as I'm concerned, like, I always think about my actions and, you know, I would never say anything negative to someone. If I've got an issue with someone, I'd address it as, a, as a, an issue on a, on a, on a, in a communicative way rather than just hurling insults. But unfortunately, we live in a society where you can set a social media account up, which isn't you, and hurl abuse at someone. And the thing is, what people don't realise, I guess, is they look at these accounts and think, oh, it's run by a management company or something. But actually, they're not. Most of them are run by the people that own them, like my account. Like, if you send a message, I see it. So all of a sudden, this piece of technology gives you the power to literally hurl insults at someone without you even knowing them. And that has an effect. Like, you read that. And, you know, I had... A guy three years ago, which got reported to the police in the end, who was like sending me messages saying that I was a joke, I was an embarrassment. He was making contact with all like the uh, business partnerships I've got, saying this guy's a joke, like and all this, and no one even knew who he was. Like he could hide behind an IP address, and yeah, luckily everyone that I worked with was like, look, you need to report this. Um, but yeah, this is this is the thing. You can you can just I could set an Instagram account up now or a Twitter account. Don't have to really get it verified. And I could just go and throw abuse at someone. And the problem is, like, you see it in, against celebrities, but actually, just take that right back to a basic level. Like, if you're in school or you're in college or you're just in a workplace and all of a sudden someone you don't know has heard and abuse at you. 
and like it could you know imagine like if you're there and all of a sudden you get a, a message on your social media that you don't know who it's from saying I'm watching you like that could really screw someone up like mentally and, and can create massive anxiety and there's no control in place to stop that and I think it's Social media is such a powerful tool. I love it. There's so many beautiful things about social media, but it's it's tough. How do you police it? It's, yeah. it's half the problem with problems with things in society. Of when you look at anything, it's you know there's legislation in place to stop certain things happening, but how do you police it? It's, that's the biggest problem. Absolutely, absolutely. So, do you think there is enough support out there for athletes, in particular men? Do you think there's enough support there uh, if they are struggling with, if they are getting abuse on social media, if they are struggling with their mental health? Do you think that there is enough uh, support out there for them? I think there's a lot more than there ever has been before. Um, I think this is something that evolves and will grow, and the more and more we learn about it, I think um, there's definitely duty of care now, and you know we've seen that a lot on TV recently. Of course, you know when you look at TV programs like Love Island and stuff like that, and sadly there are a few people who, who committed suicide off the back of that. And, you know, there's duty of care put in place in broadcast now, which is incredibly important. And I think from a sporting perspective as well, like national governing bodies, I think are really wised up to that now. And there is support in place and there can always be more. Um, but I think it's like a two way street. I think the organisations are there now, but I think it's just getting rid of that stigma and people feeling comfortable to come out and say something is tough. You know, we, we, we see it in football on a different co- um, different context, you know, with, with, with sexuality, you know, th- there's not an openly gay footballer. Um, whether that's because they don't feel the time's right to come out. We saw a championship player, a couple, I think it was a couple of years ago now, is it ready to come out and then it didn't happen. And, you know, I, I think society is in a place now where, as far as I'm concerned, like that, those life choices, like if you, if, you're, if you are gay or if you're straight or if you've got mental health problems, like those are things that should be embraced and discussed. You know, it shouldn't be anything to be ashamed of or hide from, which it was shamefully in our history. It's not been a good thing to talk about. It's always was seen as a negative thing. Well, I think all those things are, are really positive now. So, you know, I, I can't wait for the for the day when we, when we see a, our first openly gay footballer come out and feel comfortable and be embraced. And, and the same with, with mental health. You know, it's, it's great to see people coming out now and saying, you know, I need some help. I need some support because I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. So, so what's the next step? What what can we do about this? You know, so you know, does it come down to from a young age, maybe at grassroots level, um, you, you know, having mental health charities that form that relationship with grassroots clubs across all sports, mm. uh, and kind of develop that relationship, and perhaps, um, you know, uh, in terms of training coaches from a young age, identifying symptoms, uh, things like that. Is, is that the next step? I think that's really important. You know, the clubs have done an amazing job. If you look at like the FA Charter standard with welfare officers, which I think is really, really important. And, you know, it's, it's always tough, isn't it, with like community level football of, you know, we, we've got training courses, we've got welfare courses, and then adding other courses to like for volunteers to do, you know, but obviously volunteers are the lifeblood of, of grassroots sport. Um, but I think if you share the load and everyone keeps an eye out for each other, and I think, yeah, the more education and understanding you can put into something like that, I think it's really, really important. And, you know, if that becomes something added on to like a welfare officer at a grassroots football club, I think thing is important. And look, there's definitely no harm at all in coaches being aware of, of the symptoms and signs. And, you know, but again, it, it's so tough because when I was struggling, you wouldn't have known. Like when I was struggling, it was when I was sat at home in my flat on my own or in my car on my own. When I was out and about, you wouldn't know any different than it. Oh, it's Michael. How are you doing? You're right. Like, I was my usual bubbly self. So, it's um, 
yeah, it's it's sometimes hard to identify. So again, like I said, I don't has to be a two way street. A person that's that's struggling has to feel comfortable coming forward. Because again, if if you're not comfortable to come forward and someone starts asking you questions, it can build a bigger wall. So it's it's a bit of a, a tricky area. But I think the more education, the better. Letting people know that the support is there if they need it. Um, so yeah, I think that's key. And I suppose NGBs have a part to play in that as well, don't they? In terms of filtering that down to grassroots level, and even in the professional game as well, they they do have a responsibility as well, don't they? Yeah, completely. And you know, there, there's a lot of pressure on governing bodies, you know, to to provide the support for grassroots, and especially in twenty twenty, you know, trying to make sure activities are participated in a safe manner. Um, and there's obviously a lot of, of pull on resources as well for governing bodies, you know, especially if they've got an elite section, they've got to look after, you know, how does that money filter down? And we know obviously in, in football, at the elite level, there's a lot of money. But as you look at other different sports, there isn't that money, much money in, say, something like um, rugby or, or cricket or if you go to tennis, and there's a little bit more in tennis, but even like sports like hockey and badminton and those kind of sports, you know, they're, they're funded on like Olympic cycles, a lot of those. So there isn't as much money to pump into kind of a lower level. But, you know, if there's, if there's practices that they're already doing with the elite team that can then be passed down, I think that, that's always beneficial. Absolutely. And from a media perspective, would, would you say the media also have a, a, a part to play, in, especially at the, the, you know, the top level of the game? We're talking about the, you know, the, the professionals of the, of the game. Do you think the media have a responsibility as well? Yeah, I think so. And, and we saw a great campaign, which sadly, because of COVID, kind of got lost in the, in the headlines this year. But, you know, uh, the Duke of Cambridge was, was busy working up on the Heads Up campaign. And, you know, it was great to see the FA Cup this year. Emirates had passed the sponsorship over um, to the Heads Up campaign. So, yeah, I think it's important that the coverage is given and say there's massive strides taken forward this year. There's been some great, there was a great documentary on the BBC about it. And um, yeah, I think once we get into 2021 and, you know, hopefully with the other side of, of COVID, I think hopefully that spotlight will be shone back on that again, because I'm sure it's something that, you know, the Heads Up campaign will be continuing to do. And obviously there's some amazing charities like Mind out there who are very heavily involved with like the EFL. Um, so yeah, the more the more light that can be shone on, I think is is important, and just getting that balance right of just making sure people know there's support and help there if they need it without forcing it. Because as I say, if, if if you're not ready to talk, it can it can make things a bit worse. Absolutely, and for anyone that's listening right now that is perhaps struggling, maybe doesn't know where to go to, what what's your advice to to those people? So I could personally, for me, I I found. Um, some comfort in just exercise and, and being around people and not talking about that's how I discovered it you know for me releasing endorphins going for a bit of exercise you know as simple as going for a walk and getting some fresh air um, a bit of sunshine or going for a jog and those little things you go into the gym and just being around people kind of kind of help me um, but again I just think it's just really important for people to remember they're not alone and there are places they can reach out to and I think that's the most important thing like I said earlier you know my 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 inbox is always open if anyone wants to try and send me a message and wants to reach out I think that's really important but yeah I think it's just finding how you manage it is the big thing I get it all the time still now I'll have days where I have literally nothing in the tank and I've got to go out and do something and you just you summon the energy from somewhere and I think the the, the human body the human mind is an incredibly powerful thing it can play tricks on you it can make you feel the most amazing adrenaline filled highs in life and then slam you back down onto the ground um, and it's just learning how your body adapts with it if, I, if I'm struggling I know now to take a bit of time out and, and, and deal with it and, and find a way you know we always do and you know I always look back and just think look the, the sun's going to rise tomorrow 
the sun is going to come up tomorrow and it might be a bit tough right now. It might be tough for another couple of weeks, but the sun will come up and you just got to keep fighting and keep being positive. And, you know, as hard as that is sometimes, you know, it's the best way to try and deal with it. Michael, it's been great to have you on. You know, thank you so no much. Worries. Just before you go, uh, when can we expect the documentary to be released by? Is, is there a date in mind? Yeah, so the, the 45th anniversary of Saints winning the FA Cup is on the 1st of May. So the DVD is going to be released on that day. Uh, and the premiere is going to be on Sunday, the 25th of April. So we're just finishing up the contracts with a venue at the moment for the premiere. So yeah, early next year, hopefully spring time. The weather will be nicer. COVID will be hopefully starting to become a distant memory and we can have some kind of normality but yeah that'd be early next year sounds good well there you have it i hope you guys have enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as i enjoyed having it if you want to get involved in the conversation you can either tweet myself at fraserford1 or tweet michael at michael kern if you enjoyed listening to this episode please make sure you give us a rating and if you want to listen to more episodes make sure you hit the subscribe button that's all we have time for today but from me fraserford thanks for listening see you next time Thank you.